Live, online and on your mobile. This, this is DCUFM News. Hi everyone and welcome back to Newswire. I'm Kira Lachlan and I'm joined today by Anya O'Boyle and Aoife O'Brien. On today's show, we will be giving you an update on the Save Our Shepherd campaign and we will be reporting on Peter Casey threatening to start his own political party, the low turnout for recent presidential election and Owen Murphy's recent announcement that stricter laws will be enforced on renting website Airbnb. Finally, we will have a panel discussion on how these stricter laws will affect students. But first, we have our hourly news bulletin. Good afternoon, it's six o'clock and I'm Kira O'Loughlin. US President Donald Trump plans to push an executive decision to end the right of US citizenship to children born in the United States to non-citizens and immigrants in the country, illegally, he told Axios in an interview published on Tuesday. Seeking to end so-called birthright citizenship outlined in the 14th Amendment would take direct aim at the US Constitution and likely to prompt immediately legal challenges and potential in Congress. Peter Casey must first become an elected public representative if he wishes to seek the leadership of Renewa. The party has said in answer to reports that he could be offered the leadership of the party. The party's constitution requires that the leader be an elected representative, meaning that Mr Casey would have to stand successfully in either the local or European elections next year, next year if he wished to take the reins. It's officially over for Channing and Jenna Tatum. They have filed for divorce. The pair filed for divorce on Friday, citing... Differences. <laughs> it's reported Jenna requested jointly <laughs> joint legal custody of their five-year-old daughter along with spousal support. Channing has also asked for joint legal custody, but according to CMZ, is seeking to block the court's ability to give Jenna spousal support. That's all for now. Remember, you can keep up to date on Facebook and on Twitter at DCUFM News. Shepard Machaya, a second-year DCU student who was ordered a deportation notice for Sunday the 21st of October, has been granted an extended stay by the Department of Justice and Equality. His deportation notice has been postponed until February 2019. DCU Student Union said on their Facebook page that although this is good news, that they recognise that this campaign is merely the end of the beginning. They added that this is a very tangible win for those who have contributed to the campaign and something that highlights the power of the student movement. Shepherd was one of the first beneficiaries of DCU's University of Sanctuary scheme. This scheme offers scholarships to a small number of asylum seekers each year to enable them to study at third level. Usually asylum seekers are obliged to pay the non-EU rate of third level fees, which can amount to €13,000 a year. Shepherd, who currently lives in direct provision in County Leash, is in his second year of a de- degree programme in Management of Information Technology. Originally from Zimbabwe, DCU Students' Union said that despite his challenging living circumstances, Mr Machaya has overcome great odds to advance academically. If he returns to Zimbabwe, Shepherd could face a threat of torture from local political groupings. Shepherd ha- had previously been tortured by a group which also killed his best friend. Despite Michael D. Higgins' landslide victory in the presidential election last Friday, there was the lowest turnout ever in the history of the state. The total voter turnout came in at only 1,473,900 votes, meaning that just one in every three people who were eligible to vote in Ireland did. Over half of those who voted put Michael D. Higgins as their number one candidate giving him an overwhelming victory with nearly 56% of voter preference. 
This gave him a high share of the, a higher share of the vote than he received back when he first ran in 2011, where he received 39.6% of the vote. In second place came Peter Casey, who Eve is going to discuss further on through the show, with 342,027 votes. Back in the 2011 presidential election, approximately 1.7 million people voted out of the eligible 3.1 million electorate, meaning that nearly two-thirds of those who voted back then could. A number of the people that actually made the effort to go out and vote ended up spoiling their votes. Some people saw the presidential election as an opportunity to make bold political statements or by writing the names of alternate candidates that they deemed to be more suited to the presidency. Some examples of these spoiled votes include statements saying a waste of taxpayer money, no to abortion, or votes cast in favour of the presidency of Dustin the Turkey. Joining Dustin the Turkey in the race for the Irish presidency were also US President Donald Trump, former Taoiseach Bertie Ahern, and Dublin football manager Jim Gavin. Journalist Gemma O'Doherty, a would-be candidate in the elections, managed to secure spoiled votes throughout several different constituencies, including 50 votes in Dublin West. The total number of spoiled votes amounted to 18,438, or 1.24% of the total voter turnout. The poor turnout and number of spoiled votes cast this year begs the question of whether or not people are disengaged from the presidency in Ireland. The head of state is the most for, is for the most part a symbolic role. So do people really care about who represents them in this role? I spoke to DC students about the presidential election and asked them if they voted, whether or not the national media covered it well, and if young people actually care about the role of the presidency. I actually didn't get to vote in the election this year because I wasn't able to make it home. I was stuck in Dublin. No, I didn't vote, but that's because my train home didn't get in on time. So if I was at home, if I was at home before uh, polling my clothes, then I would have voted. I actually didn't vote um, just because of the fact that I got the quarter past seven train to go home and I was home by half ten and the voting polls were closed but I'm not too upset about it because what I would have voted for came through in the results. Do you think that the presidential election was well covered in the national media? Uh, I think it was. I mean they do all the deba debates on prime time and stuff like that so I think that's about enough as they need for the presidential election. People kind of, once they know, the, um, once they know what the people are standing for and stuff, I think that's enough. Um, I think it was well covered overall. I feel like the big national papers and, of course, the public service broadcaster, RTE, had um, a big play and a big role. I think the debates were, for the most part, well balanced. Um, I think coverage maybe was a little bit, at times, a little bit hysterical. Um, I think it reached a point which really we, we didn't need to go there. Um, I think, obviously, Peter Casey's comments really took the whole thing in a different direction, sparked the whole conversation about the travelling community. Um, in general, I think it just represented a bit of a farce in the media, um, which the nationals are responsible for in some ways, but I think really it reflects the kind of conversations that we should be having in Ireland that we really aren't, and I think that's reflected then again in the voting process and in the turnout. I think it was well, co well covered. Um, I was seeing it a lot on my phone, especially if I was scrolling through any of my social media feeds. It was always coming up about 
the election and any time you turn on the news I think it was there as well so yeah I do think it was covered a lot. Um, national media I think the presidential part yes but the only candidates that I really knew about were Peter Casey and Michael D Higgins the rest I was kind of oblivious to um, Sean Gallagher as well just because he was a dragon that's all I knew. And do you think that the presidency is something that young people actually care about? Uh, I don't think so I don't think it's a topic that they're passionate about maybe you kind of see like young people get passionate about stuff that they care about and stuff that they need to change but the president's just kind of a figurehead for Ireland so I don't know if they're that into it. <laughs> I think they do care about the presidency I think in DCU especially it was a very big thing where a lot of people were talking about it um, so yeah I do think. Presidential runner-up Peter Casey has said that he wants to be the next leader of Fianna Fáil, despite having never been a member of the political party. While he has previously been vague and non-committal when asked about his, where his political allegiances lie, Casey revealed in an interview with the Sunday Independent that he intends to run in the next general election in Donegal as a Fianna Fáil TD. Casey said that he believes Fianna Fáil has lost its way in recent years and no longer listens to the voice of the ordinary people of Ireland. He wants to be the one to lead a renewed and revitalised Fianna Fáil outside of the bubble of Dublin, Leinster House and the media establishment and back to its natural home as the party of the people, he said. After unsuccessfully running for the Shannad as an independent councillor in 2016, Casey now believes he has to be aligned to a political party to be successful. Fianna Fáil TDs have outright rejected Peter Casey's calls to allow him to join and make him party leader, saying he would be eaten alive in real politics and will never be welcomed because he is scapegoating minority groups. Mr Casey's election campaign was marked by criticisms of travellers and their separate ethnic status. The businessman argued that they are not paying their fair share of taxes in society and claimed that travellers should not be recognised as an ethnic minority because they are basically people camping in someone else's land. Despite calls for him to pull out of the presidential race, at this time, his comments correspond with a surge in support for his campaign. Casey, who polled strongly with 342,727 votes, or 23.25% of the overall vote, had previously been the least popular candidate. He has dismissed the idea that he received a large vote on the back of his comments regarding the travelling community. He believes that his votes were ones of frustration by the middle class of Ireland, who feel that nobody is listening to them. They can't get on the housing ladder, they're frustrated and it's getting worse. A dozen Fianna Fáil TDs backed the party hierarchy's decision to ignore Mr Casey's bid to become party leader, with Carlo Kilkenny TD. Bobby Allward describing Mr Casey's ambitions as laughable and Limerick City TD and Social Protection spokesman Willie O'Dea saying Mr Casey's leadership chances are slim because the last thing we need is someone scapegoating groups. However, a small number of TDs said they understood Mr Casey's views. Junior sp Spokeswoman for Equality, Immigration and Integration and Kildare South TD Fiona, Fiona O'Loughlin said he started a conversation that we as a society need to have about rights and responsibilities. It has already happened at a political level, she said, but really needs to happen at grassroots level. Otherwise, we will remain a society out of sync with one another. 
while both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have categorically ruled out the prospect of having him running as a candidate for either of their parties, Renewa has said that Mr Casey is very much in line with their way of thinking in terms of a lot of their core policies and that the leadership of the party is open to be contested. Mr Casey spoke yesterday on Today with Sean O'Rourke, presented by Miriam O'Callaghan, about his ability to reposition the party and said that if Fianna Fáil won't accept him, he will set up a new Fianna Fáil. It really resonated with me this time around. I mean, obviously the Shannad, uh, my attempt to get uh, into the, the Shannad last time, it made me realise just how incredibly controlled the country is by the political parties. It's, it is very difficult. Uh, I would have been the first to be elected as a senator had I been successful going down that route. And I, I, I got a massive 14 votes, you know, <laughs> and I was like... Uh, and it was it was brutal. I, I visited every county in Ireland and the number of times they t people told me, oh, you'll get a one, I'll give you my one. And they just forgot to mention they were putting a one in front of it. They were giving me an 11, you know, so it was, yeah. it was hard. I think you have to be aligned with a party to be successful in Ireland. Y you know, I believe that one of the frustrations, the vote today uh, sorry, on mm. last week, Miriam, was not so much, I think, a vote for Peter Casey. It was more a vote of frustration. You know, the, the people, they, they feel there hasn't really been a government for the last three and a half years. This confidence and supply, it just hasn't worked to anyone's benefit. Um, I've got a son who's studying in Dublin, and so I'm very much aware of the challenges of students trying to get affordable accommodation. Uh, I was talking to one uh, when I was over at UCD. Uh, I was talking to one uh, student, and she was telling me it takes her an hour and forty-five minutes to get from her parents' house to the. You know, that's like three hours plus of her life. You know, and you can't study when you're sitting in a bus. Yeah. You can't study. Uh, I believe that three hundred and forty-two thousand people uh, came out and said we support Peter. I got number ones from three hundred and forty-two thousand people. I think that that. That should send a message, and it should also resonate with the fact that how disconnected they are with the people in Middle Ireland, the centre, the hard-working people that are getting up and working and feeling that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Have you tried to contact, for instance, Micheál Martin? I suspect Micheál probably wouldn't take my phone call. <laughs> I don't we know. could try. <laughs> well, no, it, he I probably would take your phone call, actually, because well, he's I don't polite. have his number, you know. But we'll uh, get it for you. Well, yeah. I, I think Michal is a very decent and a very good and a very hard-working politician. I, I think people in Middle Ireland, the centre, the hard-working people that are getting up and working and feeling that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Have you tried to contact, for instance, Michal Martin? I suspect Michal probably wouldn't take my phone call. <laughs> I don't we know. could try. <laughs> well, no, it, he I, probably would take your phone call actually because well, he's I don't polite. have his number, you know. But we we'll uh, get it for you. Well, yeah. Uh, I I think Michal is a very decent and a very good and a very hardworking politician. I I think that um, he's I think too nice to take on the likes of Leo Varadkar, who made scandalous racist remarks about me and hasn't apologised yet. Uh, and like for, of all the people, he knows that I am absolutely not a racist. 
Owen Murphy, the Minister for Housing, has announced that tougher regulations will come in from June 2019 for landlords letting rooms on the website Airbnb. The announcement was made last Thursday, October 25th. The Minister said that under these new restrictions, owners of buy-to-let properties, like the ones on Airbnb, will need planning permission from local councils if they want to short-term let their second homes or apartments for more than three months a year. Mr Murphy said that in areas of high housing demand, like Dublin, that it will be very unlikely that landlords would be granted to use their properties as short-term lets over a long period of time. According to the Minister, between 1,000 and 3,000 homes in the Greater Dublin area could come back into the long-term rental market. As a result of these tougher regulations, this could free up housing for students in Dublin, who over the past few years have found it increasingly difficult to find accommodation, not to mention affordable accommodation. Last April, Dublin City University students held multiple protests as part of a campaign called Shenowen Shakedown. Students were furious that the privately owned Shenowen Square student accommodation was charging just under €9,000 for a single room in a shared apartment for nine months. According to statistics generated by Airbnb in 2017, around 7,000 properties in Ireland are being rented on the website and are not the primary homes of their owners. Roughly, this is a third of all Irish listings on the website. We are going to take a quick break, but afterwards we will be joined by Colm O'Halloran, Vice President for the Dublin Region of the Union of Students in Ireland. We are now joined by Colm O'Halloran, Vice President for the Dublin Region of the Union of Students in Ireland. Hi Colm, thank you so much for joining us on Newswire today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to go on here. <laughs> no problem at all. Um, so Owen Murphy recently announced that there's going to be some stricter laws for Airbnb and the listings, um, and that will come into force in June 2019. So do you think this will have a positive effect on uh, students and the housing crisis in general? Yeah, of course. I, I think it's it's some welcome news, uh, but we're not getting our hopes up just yet, uh, is the honest answer. Uh, it's, we're welcoming of it, but we are concerned and a few of the concerns are uh, the government has been consistently saying they're going to introduce legislation and introduce regulation around Airbnb. Um, and it's been something that for the past two months, I've seen uh, an article about every two weeks. Um, okay. And it's, it's just worrying that the government's kind of putting out so much announcement and then very little to do it. And the other concern is that this is only going to come into effect in June 2019, uh, which is about seven months away. And we are very much in a housing crisis right now. And I understand that these things take time, but at the same time, this has been an issue that has been dominating the airwaves, that Airbnb has been drawing private properties away from the rental market and kind of added to the housing crisis. Um, we're welcome of it, and it's, it'll be, we're hoping it'll be work when it comes in. But there's also questions of whether the legislation will even work, how it'll be enforced, uh, because, for example, rent caps, are also um, there are legislation around rent caps uh, in Dublin and around Ireland, uh, but some of the legislation just isn't enforced. So, so again, we'd like to see it work. We're just not entirely sure will it if it will one hundred percent work. You know. Okay, and um, Owen Murphy said that like if if this co- does come in, there'll be between one thousand and three thousand homes open up in Dublin. Do you even think is that enough? And and would people even be open up to opening up their homes to students after having them done for short lets? I think in terms of is it enough? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, 3,000 beds 
uh, is not enough for the student housing crisis, let alone the, the national housing crisis. Yeah. Uh, there's about a 21,000 bed shortage in the student housing crisis. Um, and what the government has been doing is to build more student residences, but not, not more, a lot of these student residences aren't even really affordable for the average student. Um, and similar concern with Airbnb is that if these properties go back into the rental market, that instead of them being affordable student accommodation, instead of them being a student able to see an Airbnb property return to the rental market, that'll just be out of their own budget. Uh, it's, and that's, that's the kind of worry. So we are, it is good that there are more beds returning to private rental markets, but the private rental market as it is, is students are being squeezed out of it, you know. Yeah, I suppose there wasn't really any mention of, of if this accommodation would even be affordable and if it, it actually would be in students' budgets. Yeah, exactly. And I think what really needs to happen in terms of the housing crisis is instead of expensive luxury student accommodations, instead of students having to shell out so much money in terms of housing and apartments in the private rental market, uh, the government should really invest in colleges and give money to colleges to build their own student residences that are affordable and fit for purpose. Yeah, definitely. There some, definitely. There are some student residences that have, you know, bowling alleys and private cinemas in them that Gosh. really just aren't needed. You know, I think a student much, much, would much rather accommodation that's fit for purpose and that's affordable, you know? Yeah, I mean, like here in DCU, we have the on-campus accommodation, but it's, mm. I mean, it's very little. Chenoan uh, Square is nearby and they're charging 9,000. I'm sure you've heard yeah. 9,000 euro a month, so. It's also the thing that when a student when the student gets their leaving trip results and gets their CEO offer, it should be like a moment of happiness, of excitement that you're going to college. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, but instead what's happening is a lot of students, upon receiving their CEO offer, the panic sets in, the panic of, oh, now to look for accommodation yeah. in the middle of a housing crisis. And I think I think that's really detrimental to, to higher education in Ireland, really. So do you think the best thing then to do, you're saying, is kind of, you know, grants should be given to the actual colleges to make more, you know, in-house student accommodation? Definitely. Um, capital investment for colleges to build their own student accommodation is definitely what USI would put forward as trying to provide for the student accommodation crisis. There are other things the government can do in terms of the general housing crisis, the national housing crisis. Um, Airbnb regulation would is, is something that should be introduced, but we just, we'd like to make sure it'll work instead of government passing this legislation and then it's doing nothing at all. Similarly, okay. it's just up to the government to just build more homes, build more social housing, housing, uh, build more affordable housing, you know, instead of instead of the private expensive housing that just exists yeah. in Dublin and Ireland. Do you think, I suppose, a big problem is just Dublin is kind of, you know, really seen as the capital right now and where everyone wants to, this isn't really talking about students now, but like, what do you think the government can kind of do to to stop everyone coming to Dublin, I suppose. I suppose that's the problem. We don't have enough room. No, of course. Um, I, I think there is room in Dublin. Uh, there's public land available for housing to be built. Okay. Uh, there's, there's many areas of Dublin that can be, you know, public land can be available for public housing and for affordable housing. Um, so it's a myth then, is it? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's not. If a student wants to study in Dublin, they shouldn't be... Yeah, uh, yeah. Back, so to speak. Yeah, no, if a student gets an offer to study in DCU or Trinity or DIT or wherever it may be, they should be allowed to come to Dublin. It's, it's very much, you know, accommodation uh, should not be a barrier to someone accessing their college, you know. 
And I think it's, it is quite bad when you see students from outside Dublin having to commute, you know, two, three hours a day just to get to college. It's, it really is quite sad, you know. I know, it's mad, even myself. I'm I'm only in Donovay, but it's an hour and a half, so... <laughs> that... I know, it's, it's, it's lucky, but I, I know students from Carlo commuting to Dublin every day. I know students oh my from, God, it's crazy. Like, I, like from Loud, from Eve, from everywhere, kind of just... And it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's such a killer because when you're a student, you do your academia, you do your library hours, you do your study, but yeah. of course there's more college than that. You should get involved in college life, and I think what you're seeing is students who would normally get engaged in college life in societies and extracurricular activities, they're just going home when the college day ends because they yeah. have the long commute. They can't stay late. They have to get up early the next morning to commute back in. And I think beyond that, it's having an effect on students' mental health as well just because Definitely, long yeah. are draining and really not beneficial. You know? Yeah, Colin, thank you so much for coming on to Newswire today. Um, I think that's all we have time for. Thanks so much again. Yeah, no bother at all. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you too. Bye bye. And now it's time for our panel discussion. This week we'll be talking about the learn- low turnout for the presidential election and referendum. Why do you think that all the less than 50% of the electoral voted? Um, like Voter turnout for the presidential elections is historically low in comparison to any other election, be it general or European, that we hold. The highest ever turnout for a presidential election in Ireland was 63%. That was the first ever president that was ever elected. That was for Sean T. O'Kelly's presidential election. And to think that since then, we have just continued to drop. It's it's just not something that people seem to be interested in, that they're kind of really concerned about. Do you think that people kind of view this as anything more than a symbolic role? Like, what what does the president actually do for Ireland? Yeah, that maybe that's people... why people don't really care. Like, I mean, the president, like, well, the president, the one kind of thing that they do have, I suppose, which is important to look at, is they have to sign off on all the bills. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, they can't really be like, no, but they can hold it off for a while. So, like, at the end of the day, they still have quite an important kind of role with that. And then as well, like, holding up like being the representative for your country is is quite important mm-hmm. as well i mean he's the person who goes and does you know all the i don't even know what to call it all the little <laughs> the little meetings, meetings. yeah <laughs> in terms is that of it? passing bills though <clears throat> often our president is someone that we think you know culturally appreciates what ireland has to offer most of the legislation the government passes has nothing to do with this. It has nothing to do with the Irish language or promoting Irish writers or poets. Yeah, It's quite often to do with business or with law. And they're not the people that we often see running for it. Like we had... So do you think like... I suppose you're kind of saying... Like do you think Michael D. Higgins then wasn't the right man for the role? I don't know, but I get what I you're mean, saying. We have we had a number of businessmen run this time. People that have done really good things for the country. They have created a lot of employment. And instead of kind of building on this, I mean, the president by and large, they go out to other countries, they form good international relations. 
is international relations and business not what the country needs? Yeah. Possibly we just look at the presidential campaign completely wrong. We look at Maybe, it as something yeah. highfalutin that we can't engage with. But really, it should be brought down to core grassroots values. And if the role of the president is somewhat symbolic and their role is to go out there and engage with other countries, then there has to be a way that we can do this for the positive and for the good of the country. I suppose we could kind of go down to that whole perception that Ireland has of itself, as you know, the island of saints and scholars. Yeah. And then we have Michael D. Higgins, who's quite representative of this. You know, he is a poet. He's like is so involved in the arts and culture. And I think that we think that we need someone like that to run our country as opposed to someone more kind of entrepreneurial. That's probably yeah. reflective as well in that in like elections, rural constituencies always have the highest turnout consistently. Often the amount of people on the electorate in these constituencies is overestimated. So it appears that even though the turnout is quite high, it probably is substantially higher due to the overestimation of people on the electorate. But people kind of who are more urban based their minds are more geared towards business but if they think that this isn't something that relates to them that's quite possibly reflected in the very low turnout that we see in constituencies like Dublin Northwest. Yeah I mean the question is as well like in your vox pop there I heard a few people saying like you know they're living up in Dublin for college and they couldn't make a home to Sligo or wherever mm-hmm. Um for it but I mean they could have they obviously just didn't I thought even bother. the day of the week that the election was held on was all wrong if it was on a Saturday that would have engaged far more of That's the true. like student vote there like, is also the option home. though to change your constituency when you go to college you don't have to go home to vote you can change your constituency yeah. you have residency here yeah I don't think it was something that has been pushed enough in college, though. I know for yeah. the for the last referendum we had, it was really publicised about how you can register to vote, yeah. how you can change your um, constituency, and this time around, it just Definitely. didn't seem to be something that was spoken like, about. I do understand, like, the last referendum was, you know, really historic, and there were so many people who felt so mm. passionately about it, but... What I find kind of strange is that someone could be, a lot of people could be so passionate about, you know, changing the referendum for something and then they wouldn't bother voting in the next thing. I'm not saying they have to be as passionate about it and they have to post about it and they have to, you know, do activism for it. But I'm just saying if if you have that much interest, you think that you'd have a little bit of interest that you would just Mm. go out and vote. I mean, it doesn't take, literally, it, it doesn't take long. Like what makes one law more important than the other hype surrounding it yeah it must be yeah for a lot of people like by and large the abortion referendum it does affect young people it's Mm -hmm. young people's futures that are going to be affected by it but if you have everyone talking about it all the time well if you didn't have an opinion on it you were very much in the minority and if we can't get to a point where we can create a conversation then there's nothing to be left out of. Yeah. Well, I just thought it was very strange because 
in all honesty, like, um, I really didn't know much about blasphemy. I didn't know much about it at no. all. And I actually didn't really know anything until we discussed it on this show last week. And Aoife, you brought up a lot of points. And that's the only time it actually made me think. So I thought, yeah, I'm voting yes. Like, mm-hmm. I just, just because of literally a few things I heard in voting yes. And then when you were talking about it, I was like, oh, wow, I need to actually think about this a bit further. When I thought about it a bit further, I, I still ended up going with yes. But at least it was an informed decision and I did you know whereas so many people like I heard people saying I voted for it because it's outdated and I voted for it because sure don't I say Jesus Christ all the time and I was like that's not it at all Mm. like that that's not what it was in terms of the presidential election though like so many people voted for Michael D purely because he was there before like if you asked someone well why didn't you vote for X Y or Z the general answer you were getting is, oh sure, like what do they stand for? But I mean, they couldn't tell you what President Higgins stood no. for either. It was just people have this kind of tendency to just go with the crowd. Oh, a hundred percent. I think it's because as well, you know, he's been it at president last seven years, and nothing terrible has happened. So people are kind of thinking, you know, what did anything great happen? No, but what great. What greatness but in all fairness, I feel like we shouldn't be striving for more. Yeah, I think in all fairness, like if something did happen, the blame wouldn't have been put on him anyway. No, it no. would have been put on. He has such constricted powers that there is yeah. no need for him no. to ever like have the blame in these situations. I suppose a lot of people were thinking of like in all fairness. I think he was very lucky in the time he had in in uh, Aris and Uktaran. I think, you know, uh, over the past seven years, we did have the uh, the gay rights campaign, so gay marriage come into the referendum. Out of the, what? I don't know what, why I'm saying this. <laughs> it was legalised. It was legalised. There you go. It came in, it came out. What did it do? I don't know. Um, yeah, sorry, that. And that, the abortion referendum as well. Um, but do we actually know how much he did for that? Obviously, I know he canvassed. Mm-hmm. He canvassed for... Uh, the gay rights one but I mean he has he, for a long time I suppose been a huge supporter of women's rights yeah yes. and that yeah. is always such a topical kind of yeah. issue I don't I don't know if it's ever going to not be a topical issue it, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to leave the limelight and while a lot of our other candidates did a lot in terms of you know jobs and employment their activism probably wasn't as strong so you can see why people would very easily kind of sway towards him but it doesn't really account for why they didn't turn out to vote like no it doesn't it really doesn't i mean i maybe it's people um i know someone uh who spoiled their vote (laughs) so actually went and then wrote on uh the ballot paper um michael d shouldn't be elected because he broke his promise he said before going into his first term that he would only do one term mm-hmm. he would definitely not do two terms so he broke his promise and that's just that's just why um this person d- didn't want him voted in and then he just didn't like any of the rest of them i mean i personally don't understand spoiling your vote um i don't see the point i mean yeah it defeats the purpose of even having a vote in the first place yeah. because the spoiled votes very rarely get publicized I know people say they're doing it to make a stand, mm-hmm. but if your stand isn't being heard, your voice isn't being heard, there has to be a better way of making your stand. Yeah. I mean, feel like Find someone else to run. I found a lot of the stuff that I researched on the spoiled votes, it was just purely kind of comical things that 
the media is trying to focus on. Yeah, like, like know, in all fairness. Dustin the turkey running for yeah. president or um, Bertie Ahern. Mind you, I had a phone call with my mother there about a week beforehand and Dustin was going to be one and Podge two, Rog three, Kermit <laughs> four. Yeah, I think so. in um, Roscommon there was Bosco as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. But then I suppose my only thing with the spoils vote was like, they probably spoiled it because they wanted to vote for the blasphemy, but they didn't want to vote for the presidential, maybe? Mm, quite possibly. I mean, yeah. I don't know anyone who's that passionate about it, though. I mean, I didn't hear anything. I think, I don't know, that's what I'm surprised about, because referendums usually are something to be passionate about. Yeah. And after looking into it, I mean, it is good that it's removed from the Constitution. You know, it is, it's another mm. step towards Ireland being a more liberal country, but there was still no one that passionate about it, was there? No one. Or am I, was yeah. I not engaging in it? I don't know. Like, I... There was somewhat, to me anyway, a correlation between Casey's kind of stance towards travellers and making this slightly more conservative stand versus this blasphemy. And there's this kind of idea that we're becoming really liberal, but there's nearly more cages being put on us because you have to be liberal now. Like this liberal stance isn't really freedom of expression. It's just have a different expression than what you used to have. Whereas like... Casey did get a huge surge in votes in in his campaign by making this stance. And I wonder, because the blasphemy, it's not something that's ever going to really affect any of our lives too deeply. Very few people are going to go and publish something blasphemous. So the liberal stance on it affected people a lot less. They didn't have to be liberal. Whereas there was kind of an acknowledgement from a certain number of people, 23.5% of the electorate, I suppose, that, do you know what, maybe in some instances, my stand doesn't have to be as far left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like, I I mean, I think people, I don't know, I actually don't know why people were so surprised with Casey's turnout, because when he said the comment he did about the travellers, I know so many people agree with that. Oh, like, I course, know yeah. they do. It's um, I really like. But there is a lot of political correctness, and it was a platform to pe- for people to kind of say, "Do you know what? I'm sick of freeloaders. I'm sick of people not paying taxes." Yeah. And this kind of idea that, well, no, we're a really liberal country. We've been the first to introduce gay marriage and such likes. There's definitely like I would imagine there are people who didn't vote in the election that do agree with them. Yeah, probably. Do you think as well, like just because Ireland has came on leaps and bounds, like I mean, more so than any other country, like we were crazy, crazy conservative. Like, I mean, there was so many bans on contraception, homosexuality. There's the the women's ban on working when she got married. Like all that didn't change to the 70s and 80s. Do you think now because we we have passed, as, as we've, you've just said, the marriage referendum and the abortion referendum that now people are like just we've gone crazy the opposite way we just we just want everything now we want the country to be completely different we want to be the first country to do this and that and I think conservative Ireland still does exist I think so particularly in the older groups but also there's lots of young people who are still have conservative viewpoints you know but um I think that it's still quite evident it's, even with the voter turnout for P- Peter Casey like that just shows that this Ireland still does exist and that people are still voting conservatively conservatively 
So I change is difficult for people as yeah. well. Like I mean, a lot of that older generation they didn't really see anything wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And as people started to become educated, it was kind of the next generation that were like, well, that doesn't add up. I want something different. Yeah. But when we still have people who are alive who didn't have any issue with it, they're still going to be able to pass that message on to an extent. And I'm not saying it's wrong. Some of it is probably, you know, it holds yeah. a lot of truth in it. But I think you're always going to have a cycle of both. You're never going to have a country that is entirely left or entirely right. No. Nor would you want it. Like, there has to be some sort yeah. of difference in democracy. Even as it is in the country, we, we might as well be a one-party state because they're all so grouped together. They they stand for the same things. Yeah. Their policies are much the same. They just argue on the small, insignificant details yeah. of it. Yeah. And so I do think that if elections like this or referendums like the blasphemy referendum if they cause a bit of controversy and show that there are still two very different viewpoints there that it does put some pressure on our legislators to do right by us Mm -hmm. yeah well like i think people need to realize as well it's just interesting what you're saying about like no one's going to be always left and no one's going to be always right i mean the country's not always going to be but like when you think about it like say our grandparents generation like when they were growing up they were like taught that all of this was wrong do you know what i mean like they were it was brainwashed into them and i mean you can't blame some people for you know still thinking that way you know Mm -hmm. you never know when we're older we could actually not consider ourselves left or liberals anymore because the younger generations have just gone in our eyes way too far. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sorry, that's kind of off the topic now, but <laughs> <laughs> but it does raise an interesting yeah, point. Yeah, it's, it's interesting anyway. So, um, yeah, thank you, thank you all for tuning in to Newswire today. I think uh, that's that's all we have enough for. I'm afraid. Um, we go live again tomorrow at six p.m. So uh, be sure to tune in then. Thanks for listening. I'm Anya O'Boyle. I'm Aoife O'Brien. And I'm Kira O'Loughlin. Remember, you can always keep up to date with us on Facebook, Twitter. Everyone, and welcome back to Newswire. I'm Alison Condon, and I'm joined here today by Anya Zowers. On today's show, we will be reporting on an incident that occurred on a commuter train last night. The dangers of Halloween, DCU's and ACTUS coming 12th in the world for social entrepreneurship, and the latest on the temporary closures of some primary schools all around the country. Finally, we will have a panel discussion on the dangers of bonfires and fireworks on Halloween. But first, we have our hourly news bulletin. Live, online and on your mobile, this, this is DCUFM News. Good afternoon at 6 o'clock, I'm Alison Condon. A Garda is on trial for possession of child pornography, which was allegedly found on a laptop seized from his home. Joseph O'Connor, aged 58 and from West Dublin, pleaded not guilty at Dublin Circuit Criminal Court to five counts of child pornography possession at his home in 2011. Garda Jeanette Walsh said she found 92 explicit images of, chi- of a child under 17 being subjected to sexual acts and another 136 images of child exposure on Garda O'Connor's laptop. The trial is ongoing before Judge Elma Sheehan. This month has been the worst ever recorded for hospital overcrowding. Over 9,000 patients in need of a, of a bed have been forced to enjoy long delays on trolleys and chairs while waiting to be treated. It's said that as of September 2018, Ireland's Health Service has 227 fewer staff nurses than December 2017. Israel have defended Trump amid synagogue shooting criticism. A US president, the US president visited Pittsburgh on Tuesday amid accusations that his fiery rhetoric had contributed to the climate of violence. 
The victims of the shooting have said it is unfair and wrong to link the tragedy to the US. And finally, UK Chancellor Philip Hammond will reveal a commemorative Brexit coin to mark Britain's EU departure. Mr Hammond will announce details of the seven-sided 50p piece in the budget on Monday. The coin will be available from March 29th, the day of the, that the UK leaves the EU. That's all for now. Remember, you can keep up to date on Facebook and on Twitter at DCUFM News. A man has been arrested following a stabbing on a commuter train from Pierce Station to Drogheda last night. The incident took place at around 10.15pm between the Colester and Harmonstown stations. Gardy have said that the victim, who was in his late teens, received a stab wound to the chest. He was taken to Bowman Hospital following the incident. His injuries are believed to be non-life-threatening. According to Irish Rail, last night's stabbing was without precedent. I spoke to Katie Mahan, a passenger on the train, about the incident. So Katie, you were on the train that the incident occurs. Would you be able to just tell me a little bit about what happened? Um, yeah, so it was the 20 to 10 train home. It was from Pierce to Drogheda. And I think it was just uh, maybe about 10, 15 minutes into the journey, the train stopped in the middle of nowhere. And I didn't really pay much attention to it because I assumed it was just a train passing or something like that. And then eventually I started to realise that we hadn't moved. And I looked at my phone and I realised it had been half an hour or about 20 minutes and we had, still hadn't moved at all. Um, eventually then, who I assume was the driver, walked through the carriage and he said, we'll be here for a while. There was a fight up this way and kind of pointed in the direction to the bottom of the train where he was walking. So he carried on. And then we were still kind of left clueless, no sign of us moving. So it kind of just started other passengers were looking at Twitter to try and get updates what was going on. And they had seen that someone else tweeted about a stabbing. But it was kind of a case of Chinese whispers at the time. People yeah. were saying two people are dead, stabbed. So I think it was just kind of the story was kind of getting out of control. Okay. Um, and there was, was there not an announcement over the train? No announcement at all. That was the big problem really for everyone that was stuck there. Because in total, um, I think it took me nearly three hours to get home and it should have taken 20 minutes. And obviously it's not Irish Rail's fault that there's a stabbing, but it's just the way they deal with it. It's yeah. I know maybe they couldn't have said exactly what happened over the intercom, but if they just said there's an incident, we're going to be delayed or something to kind of give passengers an idea. So eventually the train reversed then to Colester and that's when we kind of got confirmation that there had been a stabbing. Um, some passengers got off the train and asked Irish Rail staff who just said that they had no idea what was going on. And then they went then and asked the paramedics and the firemen and they said, yeah, there has been a stabbing. Um, then eventually we saw um, a stretcher go by with paramedics and there was a guy on the stretcher and kind of people, it was kind of a bit humorous. People were saying, well, he doesn't look dead to me. He was sitting up in the stretcher. So we okay. realised then that Twitter, Twitter had been wrong. And then about 30 seconds later, then we saw two Gardaí uh, dragging this male out by the window up the ramp. And then two other Gardaí then followed and grabbed his leg. So he's being carried out. So he, they had obviously caught him and they were, they were arresting him. But even after that, there was no sign of an incident. And we were stuck there for... I'm sorry, was this at... So was this at Cluster Station yeah. then that he got dragged out and stuff? So you were stopped there but you still were seeing what was going on then yeah because the door is open so you could get out you could leave so that's what we were saying it was a bit strange he you know he obviously stayed yeah. on the train or whatever they probably had that carriage cordoned off and um, but even then kind of other passengers are panicking they were like how are we going to get home from Colester? there's no sign of this moving 
and people were kind of clubbing together and paying for taxis and kind of saying will you share a taxi with me and I kind of knew myself I was like no way can I afford a taxi from Colester I'm just gonna have to stay on this train and so then I was I kind of felt sorry for some people because I could see them they were like oh I'll try to get a bus and they left and then like two minutes after they left the doors closed and the train reversed to Connolly so it was kind of they hadn't known if they'd only hung on an extra two three minutes they would have found their way home or you know they'd gotten home with a train that was the big issue so did it go back to so you were sorry the train was going to Drogheda um, so did you, you went back to Connolly and did you get another train then? Yeah, another so the train, train started reversing the direction that I'd come from back to Connolly. So we'd only assumed, oh, we're to get off of Connolly, but we actually got no information about it. And I had actually tweeted Irish Rail. And then they said, they tweeted back to me, oh, you're to get off of Connolly and there'd be another train waiting for you. And I tweeted back saying, do you care to announce this over the intercom for the other passengers who don't have access to Twitter? People are clueless. People are after leaving paying for taxis because there has been no announcement. And like the big problem with the announcement, this is what I found really shocking. When we got off the lack of the announcement, um, we got off at Connolly and we were on platform one. And there obviously there was a group of teenagers and I had heard them kind of panicking saying, we need to get that. That's the last train. Obviously, they no other way home. So they saw the last train at platform seven. So obviously they didn't know since there was no announcement that the train was going to wait for them. So instead of walking through the station and back around, they obviously panicked and they ran across six train tracks. Oh my God. Like I, they were obviously in such a panic. It was so dangerous. They went uh, kind of over the fence, down onto two train tracks, up over the fence, down onto another day, the whole way up from platform one to platform seven. And like that was crazily dangerous. So potentially there could have been a lot more incidents because of this one. Just incident. because of an announcement over the intercom saying the train will wait for you, you're being brought back to Connolly. That's all it took. Because yeah. I was going to ask you, like, do you think maybe they didn't announce something because they were scared that this might aggravate the perpetrator or... I understand then. Yeah, I what I I kind of was speaking to people who were in the carriage because we were all kind of this is it. It was that's what caused the Chinese whispers because there's no announcement. We were all kind of trying to figure out what was going on. They said that there was a fight and that the two people knew each other and that there was a stabbing. So I understand before, but the two people involved, the uh, like the guy was arrested and the other person was taken off um, in a stretcher. They had already left, and even then there was a no announcement. And we were being brought backwards and still no announcement. I understand they could have said there was an incident or even... It was kind of at that point they should have had, yeah. had the announcement. Then I think after I tweeted, I was kind of, uh, why don't you just announce it over the intercom? There were announcements when we got to Connolly, but that's two hours later. We finally got an announcement and we were already there getting on another train that stage. It was a bit late. And I did see on Twitter a lot of kind of angry people that... Um, because there were no announcements, they were just told no train and they had no information. So they were paying for taxis. And kind of saw like a few mothers tweeting saying like, my son's in secondary school. I had to send him money so he could get a taxi home only for yeah. there to be a train three minutes later. But there was no announcement that there would be. So they just, you know, they had no way to know. And they were kind of panicking because it was that stage at night then after all that. So, And like, did you hear from anyone where, where it came from that two people had died? Or do you think that was just... Obviously, someone just made that up and it was a bit of a rumour. I think, yeah, it was just Twitter. It was hearsay. Kind of even the guy that kind of it was in the carriage that kind of announced that he uh, he said, oh, I saw it on Twitter. Some guy said and then I kind of wanted to investigate. I said, wow, that sounds serious. 
I looked into it and when I realized, the, I think the person who tweeted it said, oh, I have a mate on the train. So I was like, okay, that's obviously not the most factual piece of yeah, information. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people were getting annoyed then on the train because as we were looking, um, RT News were tweeting about it. The Irish Times were tweeting about it. I'm like, <laughs> they're tweeting. And Newswire. Yeah, and everyone. Mm-hmm. But everyone, they were, it was being announced to the news and all this and uh, put out in the papers. Yet the people who were still stuck on the train, still not moving, had no information or no announcement whatsoever. That was just what was ridiculous That's about crazy. it. That's crazy. And who do you think was giving the information to these news outlets? Um, I did actually see, I saw, um, as the stretcher was going by, I did see it and just another passenger, I was on my own, so I didn't know any of these people, uh, he took a photo, so I looked up, I just was looking up train stabbed and getting all this on Twitter, and I never even used Twitter, but then I was kind of saying, thank God for Twitter, because I'd be so fed up if that was the only, only source I was getting any information as to what was going on. I worried as well, if they didn't know what was going on, they could be, you know, scared for their own lives, you know. Yeah, I suppose they were hearing like stabber on the train and yeah. the train, it wasn't even in a station, it was just in the middle of nowhere, stopped. Um, and there's nothing, you know, to divide the carriages to, you know, contain, I suppose, the yeah. person, uh, the perpetrator. But I did find that that guy had tweeted stabbing on the train, uh, one youth arrested, another youth brought off Who's the sorry, the first person who said two people had died, was it? Um, yeah, it was him. It was so obviously he was active on Twitter. So he tweeted and I did see that he tagged, I think, the Independent or T News, the Irish okay, Times, people so like maybe that. it was from his So tweets. they got their news outlets then, yeah. It, it was out very soon though, wasn't it? I wonder, I wonder, they must, I think they must have had contacts with Shirley Irish Rail themselves or were they just taking the information from tweets? I don't know, like, if that was their source of information. But um, I did see... Irish Rail just tweeted that there was an incident. They didn't say what it was, that there was okay. a man stabbed. But that guy, when I looked onto his Twitter account, he is actually, I saw that he said his bio was a business journalist. So maybe they were DMing him and getting, you know, a story verified okay, by him. Maybe, so that yeah. could be why. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on to Newswire today, today Katie. Thanks so um, much for having me. DCU is Enactus travel to Silicon Valley, California on the 9th of October to compete in the Enactus World Cup in San Jose Convention Centre. The teams gave their presentation of social projects they had worked on over the year. For DCU, these projects were Second Scoop and Give Back. Give Back is a Google Chrome extension that aims to tackle the homelessness crisis in Ireland. The extension is compatible with over 700 online retailers. If the extension is installed and you shop online with any compatible retailer, a, per- a percentage of your purchase is donated to giveback.ie. This donation comes at no extra cost to the consumer, meaning that the retailer put, foots the bill for the donation. And Second Scoop is a pop-up ice cream vendor that operates at university, university, corporate and public events. It trains and employs people that are seeking asylum in Ireland. The individuals that Second Scoop work with are provided with the skills and op- opportunities to run the pop-up shop at events. Alongside this, they are taught about Irish culture and traditions, allowing them to better integrate into Irish society and helping them to make Ireland their new home. Accompanied by DCU President Breen McGrath and Student Union President Vito Maloney-Burke, DCU made it to the semi-final, placing 12th out of 35 teams. Reported that there have been significant structural issues with several schools built within the last 10 years. The schools in question were all built by Western Building Systems, a construction company based in Tyrone. Four schools have been closed recently due to these structural damages. The schools are Ardgillen Community College in Balbriggan, Gwell School, Clucha, Leah in Greystones, Mullingar Educate Together National School, and Tyrrellstown Educate Together.
Assessments are going to be done in 40 schools over the midterm break after an inspection of Ardgillen Community College in Balbriggan, North County, Dublin, found that there was an 80% chance of an external wall falling outwards in strong winds. Minister for Education, Joe McHugh, said that the finding highlighted the risk facing students and staff in schools due to structural safety checks. The Department of Education has begun legal proceedings against Western Building Systems in relation to the four schools. The Irish Times reported a statement released by Western Building Systems which said that they had wrote to the Minister for Education and Skills, Joe McHugh, seeking an urgent meeting with him to better understand the department's concerns and the process that is now underway. They also stated that they welcomed the assessments of the schools as it will allow for a better understanding of why these schools, which were previously deemed compliant by the department, have now been closed. McHugh has said that further closures will depend on the outcome of the assessments. The Department of Education will focus on schools built by Western Building Systems between 2008 and 2013. In particular, between 2008 and 2009, as it is thought that these schools were rapid build modular schools to accommodate pupils at a time of school shortage. The Department have received six final reports and 40 initial reports which have identified the areas that need to be addressed. Housekeeping and maintenance issues were addressed in all schools, small-scale remedial issues were identified in some schools, and in particular the absence of appropriate maintenance and refurbishment of fire doors and inadequate or absent fire stopping around the fire exits. During an assessment of Ardgillen Community College, Balbriggan, a consultant engineer said he discovered significant structural issues behind plaster work in two of the classrooms. The department say that their number one priority is the safety of students and staff. The fire safety reports gathered by the department have all been provided to authorities, patrons and fire officers. Last week, Ardgillen Community College was closed immediately and two primary schools, Tyrrellstown Educate Together and St Luke's National School were ordered to close also. Approximately 1,300 students in total were kept at home during the week. Once the assessments take place, thousands of students could potentially be affected by the closures of schools. One school built by Western Building Systems in 2008 is due to be demolished soon. McHugh said that it is unacceptable that the lives of students, teachers and staff have been put at risk. Western Building Systems said that all schools built went through a process of inspection prior to handover, conducted by departmental representatives, and that following this process, those representatives issued a certificate. The company added that it believed all of its school buildings met all relevant fire safety and building regulations that prevailed at the time of the handover. The CEO of Dublin and Dunleary Education and Training Board has warned that repairs for Ardgillen Community College could take up to a year to be completed, although he expects all students of this school to be accommodated during this time. I interviewed Craig McHugh, Vice President for Education and Welfare, who talks more about the issue. So hopefully the schools get to reopen next week. It's obviously unfortunate to see um, such a dire state in some schools physically, but to be quite honest, um, it's kind of part of a bigger picture as well. Education is massively underfunded, primary, secondary and um, higher education level as well. Um, and it really kind of just shows that you know the government isn't funding education properly um, and they're not keeping things up. These things really shouldn't happen, but obviously safety is the most important thing. Um, so it's important they close them down. They have to be closed down. Safety should be number one. It should be the priority 100%. Um, students shouldn't go to 
um, an education institute if it's not physically safe for them. It's unfortunate that it's happening in the middle of the year. Um, why weren't these things spotted um, you know, through the year? And it also opens up you know, what are the other problems that are facing other schools that, aren't, um, that haven't been noticed, I suppose, by, by authorities. But um, yeah, it's unfortunate that the schools are, are, are going are gonna to be closed and this could peel in after, after their midterms. Um, but look, safety first. Halloween is the biggest day of the year for emergency services, mainly due to the use of illegal fireworks and bonfires. Gardaí confirmed RTE's Morning Ireland that 2017 saw the largest amount of fireworks seizures in five years, while anti-social attacks on Dublin Fire Brigade crews were at the highest in four years. In total, Gardaí made 183 seizures of fireworks last year, compared to 132 in 2016 and 92 in 2015, showing just how much the use of illegal fireworks are increasing. Explosives linked to the seizures were valued at €5,330, although many of them did not have a rec recorded value. On Halloween night of last year, Dublin Fire Brigade dealt with 520 callouts to fires across the city. A spokesperson for Dublin Fire Brigade said that three people have already been injured by fireworks this year, including a teenage girl in County Cork who suffered life-changing injuries. Under Irish law, which was updated in 2006, fireworks can only be used by professional operators in organised displays, not by the general public. In Northern Ireland, the law is slightly less restrictive, so a number of licensed re retailers operate across the region. The public is also being asked to report stockpiling of bonfire material in the run-up to Halloween. During this time of year, there is an increase in the use of illegal bonfires, once again leading to many accidents across the country during Halloween night. Dublin City Council staff have been carrying out pre-dawn raids in order to prevent these bonfires and lower the risk of possible accidents. I talked to the students of DCU to get their opinion on the illegal use of bonfires and fireworks on Halloween night. I, I personally don't participate, participate in them myself. I don't really know too many people anymore who do it. Anyone who did it is kind of like grown up now, but I just think it's a bit, at this day and age, like immature and a bit silly um, for the want of a better word because it's destroying infrastructure, it's destroying um, the environment and not only that, it's also affecting like animals and dogs like are also like have to be kept in it and then it also puts strain on the emergency services whether it's the fire brigade or the ambulance so I just think it needs to be rectified and try to fix that. I think it's absolutely terrible like as someone who's really conscious about the environment they account for such a massive part of air pollution and stuff like that. I think back home um, in the countryside I know a lot more people but I don't know anyone in Dublin thank god because it's really dangerous in the city. Uh, yeah it's very dangerous because like these kids don't or adults don't know what's going on and like someone could be really seriously injured and then like our resources are already stretched on Halloween so like that's not good for that. I personally enjoy them but um it's all about just like having, like making sure that there's one responsible person there, I guess, um, having someone doing the safekeeping bits. Coming from a rural area, it's quite a big tradition um, in that like it'll be usually football fields or like kind of abandoned fields will just be full of like bonfires and things like that. I do not condone the use of them. I think that by the end of it you're left with this huge mess and so often because they take place in these huge big fields you run the complete risk of fires getting out of control and usually the people who are doing it there is the chance that they're like you know alcohol is being consumed so like the, the proper safety precautions haven't been taken um yes yeah, so i really just i don't think they're the kind of best idea and i 
like with fireworks and things like that, you hear the statistics every year of the amount of people who get injured. So I think it's kind of a tradition that I think we're all a bit... It's, we know at this point, we know the risks that we shouldn't really be partaking in such kind of silly things. I think they're okay when they're used responsibly, but a lot of the time they're used irresponsibly. Um, and it can lead to quite a few um, injuries and just badness. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, I think they do add to like a party or something like that on Halloween, especially because it's getting so cold. Uh, growing up in North Dublin, I saw a lot of bonfires and fireworks. Like it was kind of a big thing when we were kids to like go get them from wherever you could, and then like go out and use them. And it's not just on Halloween night that it happens. It happens like at the start of October all the way up until the end of November. It's a really big thing, and like I've seen the effects it can have on people. Like we used to have people into the school to give talks who have seen the direct effects of misuse of fireworks and bonfires and everything like that as well. So I think it's a really dangerous and, and harmful thing to communities all across North Dublin and the country. So when I was growing up my neighbours always had fireworks um, so it was like a very common thing in our area. Uh, I think as long as you're being safe about it um, then 100% um, you can have as much fun as possible just with like the use of alcohol mixed with like bonfires and fireworks can end very badly so just make sure that you know what you're doing. Um, but yes, no, I, I think at the end of the day, everyone's adults um, that you're talking to anyway. Um, so I think that as long as you know what you're doing and you're not being stupid about it, then 100%. To be honest, I think done so safely, it can be harmless in terms of like bonfires and stuff, but it, it, there's no way of monitoring, monitoring that. Like, um, you see kind of people, like kids collecting wood all through October for the, the big bonfire. But how do you know that, that they're going to do it safely? Like, you can't, you know what I mean? And then that, then you have to think with the emergency services as well. The guards and the fire engines, they're, just, they're so flat out that day as well. I also spoke to Adam Healy, Humanities and Social Sciences faculty rep for the DCU-SU and Catherine Kane, Societies Officer, on their tips for staying safe this Halloween night. Yeah, look, it's just really important that uh, everyone can just look at, looks after themselves. I think, especially for first years that are living up this year in, in Dublin, like everywhere is kind of like different in terms of what they do during Halloween, and it'll probably be their first maybe Halloween that they spent away from home and away from their parents. So, and people can often run the run run lose run themselves. So I know I often do when I'm, when I am in college. So it's just important to kind of look after yourself. Um, and just in general, like just mind the roads. Um, don't do and don't dress up as anything stupid. Halloween's just one of those big nights, much like Freshers Week and Christmas and stuff. Everyone, it's the size to go out and get smashed. So just look after yourself and lim limit yourself. Know, know what your limits are, I suppose. Safe, be seen. Don't drink uh, too much. Uh, always be in control of your actions, um, and always kind of be around friends that you know you can get home with, or you have somebody there to, with, with you. Um, and stay in big groups, don't just wander off on your own. Um, my taxi is a huge thing I vouch for at around Halloween because one, you can pay for it on your card, two, you know your taxi driver if you drop anything. So my tips are drink responsibly and um, my taxi is definitely the two keys of, of my things. And lastly, it's time for our panel discussion. As it's Halloween, we will be talking about the dangers of bonfires and fireworks and the amount of emergency service resources that are used tonight alone. Anna, you did some research on this and spoke to students around campus. What was the general consensus? 
Well, after talking to all the students on campus, for me anyway, a lot of them were very negative towards the use of illegal fireworks and bonfires. Um, not many said that they participated in them or even supported them. Um, I'd say maybe two people said that they liked to do it for fun maybe when they were younger, but not anymore. And definitely a lot of the reasons was for destroying the environment and messing with emergency services such as fire brigades and ambulances and, and things like that on Halloween night when they have other things to be doing. So, yeah. Yeah, it really is a waste of um, the emergency services, particularly the fire department, I think. Definitely. Like, um, ambulance-wise, I don't think that's a waste. It's, you know, still... It happens just as yeah. often that night as any other night, but the the fire department services, I think, are really wasted that night, especially because, uh, honestly, from my own perspective, I just don't, I don't really see the appeal in the bonfires, no. to be honest. It just no. seems to be kind of uh, like a community tradition in smaller yeah. areas, yeah. from what I gather. Like, once done in the right way, by or organised by proper people, like you said, communities or things like that, yeah. that's totally fine. Lots of towns have that tradition, yeah. but not when it's done by teenagers or things like that, because accidents can happen and they so have, easily. Especially and they have, especially yeah. animal cruelty ones, especially. Th yeah. That was a big thing um, a while ago at Halloween, um, yeah. animal cruelty during the bonfires. I was actually talking to one of my friends today, and he grew up in north dublin he was telling me a story about one of the fire uh the bonfires he was at when he was younger and his neighbor's cat got thrown into the bonfire oh my gosh which is just it's horrendous. it's horrific it's, like it's horrible and i i don't understand i, I don't do think it. there's any i can't see any appeal to anything even like that no at all and even um i i don't see a huge issue with the use of fireworks mm. uh, however i do again in regards to animal cruelty, I do feel a huge amount of sympathy for dogs and dog owners at that time of year. You know, yeah. they always release statements around this time of year saying, you know, be mindful of your neighbors who have dogs, and this is how a dog reacts Definitely. to the sounds of fireworks. Yeah. Um, I was actually I was reading an article um, during the week, and it said that because you cannot buy fireworks in the Republic of Ireland, a lot of people go onto the black market and buy oh, really? them, which is very dangerous and yeah. surely that could not end well at all um i've only so ever yeah. heard of people bringing them back from abroad yeah and places like that yeah um but yeah um i think the general consensus is that it is a waste of emergency services and just Definitely. through to pure recklessness they it halloween is such a busy night and they definitely have more important things to be doing than yeah. attending these illegal bonfires or people who have been setting off illegal fireworks and injuring themselves. It's not fair. It's like not at fair the end of the day, Halloween is just another day. There are serious yeah. things happening yeah. all the time. So, yeah, thank, thank you all for tuning in to Newswire today. <laughs> we go live again next Tuesday at 6 p.m., so be sure to tune in then. Thanks for listening. I'm Anya Zowers. And I'm Alison Condon. Remember, you can always keep up to date with us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at DCUFM News.